0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Just Another Kill Team podcast, connecting kill team communities across the globe. Today, we're going over to Copenhagen. In Denmark with our special guest today Anders welcome Anders
1: thank you thank you so much it's a pleasure being here
0: yeah
2: I mean you messaged us because you're a longtime listener after we popped over to Sweden and Melmo so you know now we're here to talk a little bit about Denmark it's actually Melmo is just over a long bridge to Copenhagen the capital of Denmark and Denmark's got a little bit more than just Legos right
1: I mean, uh, I dare to, uh, I dare to say so. Um, <laughs> um, we're there's not there's more than
2: one form of plastic crack in yeah. in Denmark.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. We have quite a few, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, you guys started um, playing, or you started playing at the beginning of the edition, and you know we're talking yeah. a little bit about your favorite blooded and Hearth Conservators today, hopefully, and yeah. you know talking and catching up a little bit about Denmark and the active kill yeah. team scene there. Definitely. Um, before we head into all the other fun stuff, you know, what have what have you guys been up to in your day to day lives?
1: i I mean, I'm. Uh, I'm doing exams on uh, on my studies at the at the moment. Um, it's been a bit chaotic uh, due to uh, sickness um, and illness for uh, some of our teachers, but uh, things are getting where they should be, and um, I hope to be able to. Uh, have a bit of Christmas vacation before uh, writing goes on. So, uh, so yeah, that's more or less my uh, how my days are looking at the moment.
2: What about you, Jason? What have you been up
1: to?
0: Well, I just had a a ten player tournament for the end, which is that that skirmish game that I've been working on um, for a little over a year now, and uh, I'm that one. It was well. It was really fun. Um, we had a couple people that like hadn't even played before and just like showed up, tried it out, and it seems like everyone had a, an easy time getting into it, and it was fun and successful for sure, um, but I also got my tickets to LVO recently, as I know, Travis, you did as well, and so I'm kind of um, putting a pin in that for a little bit as I get ready for LVO. I'm still even like trying to decide what faction I'm going to play. Hopefully by the time the episode comes out, I'll be pretty soundly decided.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to go to LVO and meet Jason for the first time in real life.
0: Yep, and we'll have been working on the podcast for more than a year since uh and then we'll yeah. we'll finally finally meet.
2: Yeah. But uh, you know, I've been playing a little bit of Rogue Trader on the side. You know, Rogue Trader's been pretty fun. It's much longer than I was expecting. I've seen some of the reviews and they say that the game is up to 130 hours if you do all the content like she's having a, a blast telling the sister of battle to go murder every single person with her heavy bolter hell yeah yeah it's been fun she's got a heavy <laughs> bolter and she switches <laughs> over to a power mace and a fl- hand flamer and she's just just like destroying everything right now so officers very important <laughs> it feels like yeah but, you know, we're here to talk with Anders about the Denmark kill team scene and a little bit of what you've been doing over there. So, why don't we kick it off a little bit, you know? How's uh, how's it going in Denmark?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, where to start? Um, to begin with, um, there wasn't really a scene. Uh, when me and my friends started playing, we, uh, yeah, I was just, just, I only knew my, my own handful of friends to, to play with, to begin with, so... Um, I was like, why is nobody playing in Denmark? Why is nobody speaking about this game? It's super fun. So uh, I began reaching out. Uh, I found a few other people um, who who started playing. Uh, I was at the moment um, working at a local game store uh, here in Copenhagen where I began hosting uh, a few tournaments. Uh, (laughs) The first one, uh, six players turned up. Um, The second one, like 24 uh, people turned up. That was uh, quite the improvement that was like half a year between them um, then uh, I stopped working there but um, I met up with one of the players that had been there um, yeah we, we played a couple of games and uh, spoke about the whole situation with the, the lack of a Danish scene um, so we began uh, arranging tournaments together um, and then slowly our uh, our crew expanded so now uh, at the uh, we call ourselves uh, group activation because all the other organizer teams across the world has some some sort of cool name that uh, has uh, like yeah some it's, it's named after a rule or uh, some part of warhammer of, War. some kind of yeah, game exactly. mechanic yeah exactly so uh, we decided that uh, we were going to be uh, group activation uh, we have four guys now: me, Nicholas, uh, Benjamin, and Trolls. Um We began hosting um, to begin. Yeah, we we hosted a few uh, leagues to begin with, just to like expand our player core. Uh, starting to play most of our games uh, at the local game stores uh, instead of uh, at home, to like attract people and people came over and be like, oh yeah, what, what what what's that? What what are you doing? Oh yeah, I heard about this. Um and then just slowly growing. Uh with a little um tournament uh in between once in a while. Uh we just finished our last league um here like what think was the twenty sixth of uh, November. Um we had like I think we had we usually do the, the thing where we have like uh, 24 people, uh, 20 to 24 players, and uh, then we do uh, the top cut uh, and play some final games. Um, uh, so yeah, people were happy. It was a really, really nice event. Um we've uh, already by now um, um, planned out the next few events for uh, all of um, 2024. Uh, so far from uh, from our organisation
2: um how many uh, have, other like, organisations are there in the denmark region
1: i only know of one other uh, like organiser team uh, which is like in the other end of the country uh, mm-hmm. i can't remember if uh, it's the third or fourth uh, biggest city in denmark but it's called uh, alborg okay
2: um uh,
1: um Running uh, from a gang called Tor. Uh, I apologize if I'm wrong about that. I don't know them that well. Um, but uh, they have a tournament here at uh, the 14th of January where uh, a bunch of our Copenhagen guys are going to uh, to go over there and obviously win their event.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm a little say that. Every, <laughs> everyone wants the. Banter.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, everybody everybody's had a, has their friendly yeah. neighborhood rivalries, you know? Yeah, In course, uh, New York, yeah, course, we have. Yeah. New York and the Baltimore D.C. region. There's a little bit of friendly rivalry there. And I think Command Point, Shane, he's been uh, trying to beat all the Brooklyn players just because he's (laughs) in a different part of New York. So yeah, friendly rivalries are all good. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that you guys have a little bit of friendly banter between you and Malmo, right? Because you guys are very, very close. Copenhagen, Malmo, you have two active kill team scenes connected by just a bridge over the ocean, I think.
1: Yeah, obviously. Um, Denmark and Sweden have so many years of history of going to war with one another um
0: now uh, you're going to kill team
2: war now you're going to dice now war now we're going
1: to kill team war uh, no is the, the 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 plan is to like turn it into a, like a friendly scene um and yeah fighting our wars um with little plastic soldiers um possibly metal if you uh, if you still use metal um figures Mm-hmm. Not not shaming, but um, <laughs> um. For now, we're just trying to like in some form of unison, trying to make the the Scandinavian scene as a whole uh, grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea what is um, going on in the rest of uh, Scandinavia. Um, we hope you're out there, Norway and uh, and Finland. Um, reach out if you are. We would uh, we would love to have you aboard, but um, for now it's just. Uh, Denmark and Sweden Um, Yeah,
2: you guys have a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of proximity that probably helps keep your two scenes kind of moving together in the same direction just because if someone runs a tournament on one side you can drag players over from your region or their region very quickly which is good I
1: mean uh, already by now uh, there's like half of the um, we have uh, an event in June where like half of the players that have uh, signed up uh, so far are Swedish guys and not just from uh, from Malmo, but also from uh, from Stockholm, uh, the nice. Swedish capital. So, and that's uh, that's like, um, I mean,
2: that's driving a good distance. distance right?
1: uh, driving distance is is different um, in the in in USA. I I know that. So uh, so it might not sound as much to you, but it's like a six hour uh, drive um, from Stockholm to to Copenhagen, mm-hmm. unless you, of course. Uh, to fly over
2: yeah i think in california it's not so crazy in texas it's not so crazy in new york it probably feels a little bit crazy so it just depends on which part of the uh, u.s our listeners are tuning in from
1: yeah that's my that's my general impression that it's uh it's different um like oh it's just yeah it's it's, it's it's not too bad for uh for for larger parts of uh
0: yeah. America. The the 6-hour drive is basically like me and the Minnesota crew going to Chicago. So it's I totally understand yeah. that vibe. That's like our Adepticon over here is a pretty big event. That's like about 6 hours away for me. Yeah, how many players yeah, is that
2: yeah. uh tournament coming up trending at for your part and Anders?
1: Um so far we have uh of course I don't have it open. It's uh, it's my buddy Nicholas that is um our um, BCP man, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I actually don't know at the moment, but I think so far it's 13 players or something. I mean, there's just people are are slow about signing up in in Copenhagen. Um, It's like sometimes um, I think a lot of the, the Copenhagen players are they're a bit, a bit casual, if if you could say it like that. I mean, people show up to the tournaments, uh, but mostly to like have a good time. And then there's like a fourth of us. There is like, these we need to, to win this. We need to uh, be uh, be be serious about it. We we want to compete and all of that.
2: And, you know hopefully for 2024 some of that competitive energy helps you guys get yeah. a golden ticket so someone goes to the world championships right because i don't think there was any i don't think denmark or sweden had any representation at the world championships oh. this year
1: that is uh, it's funny you should mention it uh, one of uh, my my biggest goal personally for for uh, 2024 is to see a scandinavian at worlds yeah um which is also why uh, the two later Um, events of ours uh, next year uh, we have applied to become a qualifier events so we're hoping to uh, to be able to um, to pass a a golden ticket or a silver ticket um to to the winner of uh, of those events Uh, we haven't heard anything so far but um we're working on it
2: yeah i think for my new application at the time of this recording i have not heard back yet so i all the New York Open got its other ticket, but the next event that I was trying to run, that's a little bit more of an invitational, hasn't gotten a ticket yet. Yeah. So it's probably just okay. going to take a little bit.
1: Also, it's uh, it's a bit funny because there uh, I have to I have to tell the story. I mean, it's uh, it's been mentioned in other podcasts so far, but um, my friend Benjamin from the crew um, and Nicholas, for for that instance, but I mean, they they went to the uh, to the tour to the qualifier event in Budapest, okay. and. Benjamin came second. Um, the guy who won the event uh, decided that I, I don't know if he had the time uh, or he uh, or he just couldn't afford to go. So actually, the the ticket went to Benjamin. Benjamin decided he couldn't afford it as well, uh, which is a real shame. Uh, and we've been giving him so much smoke about it uh, ever since. <laughs> Love you, Benji. Um,
2: but Ain't yeah, nothing so wrong just, with uh, smoke amongst friends. Yeah, hopefully this year yeah. you guys get a chance to go. So it yeah. sounds like you're hopefully. one of the more competitive players in your group. So it sounds like a good segue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I try to be, um, but but there, I think there needs to be a balance between the uh, the TOing and the and my own ambitions. I mean, of course I want to do good. Of course, of course I want to go to worlds if I can. But but I mean, it's it's for me it's more important to to grow uh the community and set potentially set someone else up to uh to be able to go there.
0: Yep, I can definitely relate with that. I I definitely have a lot more priority and a lot more effort into just making sure that everyone is having a fun time and and like the community's growing and stuff like that. Um but yeah so um one thing that we also want to jump into today is the operative showdown. Operative showdown in which in today's episode we will be chatting about the blooded.
2: Yes. Ander's first competitive love from what I understand.
0: Yes. I went uh I
1: went to a fest with them uh I made this cool conversion and uh turned all of the the traitor guardsmen into into uh, goblins
0: I bought like, right, this, uh, this... Right.
1: Yeah yeah this I, I bought this uh, box set of um Hf Sigmar Square hoppers where there's lots of uh like goblin uh, knights or something they have these like pointy helmets uh, so they to make sure there's uh, room for the noses and I just swapped all of the heads and uh yeah, painted them green and um I'm not really happy about how the Okran turned out. He's just like, looks like a mutated version of Shrek. So I might just swap him for like a um, a big Squig or something, something like that.
2: Yeah. But you know, in the operative showdown, you know, we like talking about what makes our operatives special. So outside of our conversions, you know, Blooded has a big operative spread. So we wanted to kind of coalesce it into a couple different regions. So the first one would be like the melee specialist, the butcher, the flender, the commissar. Like which one of these do you like the best? When do you find different ways to use them? You know, talk us talk to us a little bit about the melee specialist on the blooded.
1: I feel like I've had the a certain amount of success with all of them um and uh, just to uh, to to break down the, the category um my favorite model of these three are uh, the commissar um but but not for but not for his power fist i mean the uh, the instant uh overwatch uh shot from a guy uh, within uh 3 inches of himself is just i've i've done so many setups by uh, starting out turn 1 uh turn point 1 Giving the the first blooded token to my uh, plasma gunner, uh, putting him on a, a vantage point, shooting some poor guy out there, and then if he's still alive, my next activation is uh, the commissar uh, getting him to shoot his uh, Overwatch immediately, and uh, possibly uh, bring some uh, real sour news to uh, to whatever I'm I'm facing. Uh, I did that a lot at. Um, Warhammer Fests.
2: Yeah, the free retain definitely <laughs> helps that overwatch punch a little bit harder yeah. than it's up in 5-up, ballistic skill would imply. Because exactly. of the blooded core mechanic, where if they have the blooded token, you get a free retain, which just allows your poor ballistic skill to really punch up, especially on yeah. a secondary shot with an AP-2 gun, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, because if most models uh, are going to go to, to one uh, defense dice, uh, mm-hmm. being struck by an, an AP-2 weapon, so I more or less only need um, one additional hit out of uh, four uh, attack dice in total, which one is, uh, has already been auto-retained. So I basically just need one more hit, which I have pretty good chances of getting. And it's just just for a basic hit, it's it's still five damage, uh, which is going to turn most models... Uh,
2: yeah, any non-elite... Yeah, any non-elite is going to take a fair fair chunk of change, oh, yeah. least, uh, oh, yeah. Especially if you've gotten one retain and three dice on fours, then one dice on yeah. three dice on fives is pretty likely to follow up and kill most things. Just yeah, maybe definitely. not a fourteen wound Space Marine. No. Yeah, but I mean,
1: um, chip damage is uh, is often the way to go on uh, on the bigger models. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, like if if I've done that twice, that's like two activations in a row it's, it's still like 10 damage going through and that's that hurts even for a space marine um i've been forced to use that uh, that um that strategy a lot against um i played a guy uh, who played gallerparks at the Weimar Fest. um the game went horrible he, he like tore me apart <laughs> he he made so many of his uh, feel no pains uh it was just that's just not much to do afterwards
2: yeah when you've got around you know (laughs) 76 wounds coming in or seven uh, 73 wounds coming in against your mostly melee models right in a five-up field of pain it's going to be rough for you to trade reliably especially if they turn on the injury aura so you know when it comes to melee operators that have a punch above their weight you know you've got the butcher the flenser, which one is doing more work for you
1: uh i really like uh working with the flancer the whole charge from concealment and the whole um uh oh i died but I'm, le- I'm 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 going to strike you again before i go down it's just it's it's just turned some 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 encounters uh around for me
2: um, it also means that you know after he dies in melee if someone else wants to also charge and fight him in melee you still get a little bit of chip damage on the way out right yeah, so exactly. having him charge and fight two guys and then being able to still use that second injured combat step is pretty nice, especially yeah. with 4 dice on 3s, 3-4, three, lethal 5, ceaseless, yeah. which is kind of what his profile is, right? Yes. So, uh,
1: about the Butcher, he's like, um, of course, he's uh, one of the, the frontliners. Um, often goes, uh, goes out and just chops people to bits, but I, I mostly... I uh, use him to like build up the 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 blood token pool, mm. um, like going in for for a kill, uh, and then heal him a bit uh, because he does that when he uh, he strikes someone, or, or if he's if he survives um he kills kills someone in melee
2: he heals back at the end so he's able to he's able to push a little bit harder than some of the he's actually a melee specialist for the team and then every time he every time he hits with a critical you actually pull you like cut off a piece of your opponent's soul and put it into your blood token yes
1: smear some of his blood on your face or something like that yeah it's, it's been it's been some it's been some months since i last picked them up um I was actually considering picking them up again uh, when we we're going to yeah, um, here in January, but I haven't really decided yet. So, uh, but enough of that. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, so those it's, are uh, those
2: are some of your melee specialists. What about the? Uh, you know, you have a, a small number of rain specialists, so that's probably relatively easy to go over because you only yeah. are allowed two gunners, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you get a plasma, a grenade launcher, and generally a sniper.
1: Yeah, something like that. Um, it depends on the matchup. Uh, I mean, that's because
2: exactly your other option. is says that. It's, melted, right? it's a
1: yeah, it's a, it's a melter. So uh, for for instance, uh, in the in the Geller Parks uh, matchup, I uh, usually go with the with the melter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if uh, I meet a, a melee heavy uh, elite team as well. Um, Otherwise, it's just doing chip damage until I can reach them and possibly kill them in melee.
2: Okay. Um, um, when it comes to the more okay, powerful pieces, is. kind of like the showy pieces, we have like the Butcher, or not the Butcher, we have yeah. the ogrin and yeah. the Grenadier are two of the more obvious powerful pieces, and probably your leader model because he gets the gaze with gods if he's inside your opponent's drop zone. So how do you yeah. use those three pieces in different situations?
1: I mean the Ogrin is um often one of the the first guys to go uh, because he's big and he's uh, he has a lot of wounds and he takes up a lot of presence on the battlefield. Um I usually you take I mean if, if that's how it's going to be you might as well take advantage of it. So um trying to play a bit uh, a bit cagey with him, moving up the board slowly and uh uh yeah, I mean, your your opponent, uh, if someone who's not uh, used to playing blooded uh, or against blooded, uh, will definitely have a lot of their focus on him. So I can take, um, for instance, the, the grenadier a bit more stealthily up, uh, up the board and um, set him up for some uh, extreme mayhem. Uh, point two or three. Yeah,
2: that's... Uh... You're using the, the ogrein as your distraction card effects while your grenadier yeah. goes around the back edge to try to catch people as they react to your Ogren's yeah. More forward movement, which is nice.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, uh, if if I have the uh, if I have a chance to to kill someone with the ogrein, uh, I'll definitely go in and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't so far uh, been taking the uh, the two uh, regular guys over one of the uh, the specialists. So uh I've been so far going uh commissar and ogrin in the every game i've played with them
2: i mean they're you just, just find the, you're just finding the utility of those two pieces to be too high yeah yeah,
1: yeah definitely
0: i'm curious about who is your overall like damage output mvp
2: hmm.
1: oh that's a difficult one um i mean i've had different experiences with with most of them uh but I think I would like to give a little shout-out to someone who's not on the list, uh, the Trench Sweeper, with his uh, Storm Shield and shotgun. He's just been been ta- uh, been I've having so many games where he just stood his ground and been taking so many hits and just get up close and, and shoot people in, in, in the face. I mean, I think his shotgun is only damage 3-3 three, three or something, but, I mean, against, like... Seven wound teams. He's just he's just, just super good. And he hits on twos. Also, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, someone else who I've been uh, having a lot of success with is uh, the Thug with his uh, heavy club. Um.
2: Oh, the Thug. The Thug with his yeah. heavy club. Yeah. Just because the yeah. Thug has a natural defense ability, so any normal damage is reduced to a minimum of one by one. So you can take yeah. a bolter, only take two, four damage, which is very powerful on a four-up save model. Because he's one of the yeah. natural four-up save models. I think you have him the yes. and the trench sweeper as the two pieces on the team that start at a four-up instead of a five-up. So they are able to hold positions.
1: Uh, the commissar as well. Or the enforcer, as he's called. But otherwise, yes, it's only the three of them
2: yeah so thug is great i definitely have run into issues trying to remove it from the board you know especially if you have a blooded token and you've got the a trench sweeper kind of floating around you can throw it over the trench sweeper and then by the time it gets to the thug he's taking like no damage so those defensive bubbles are really important for blooded i know a lot of players when they first pick up the team they run into a lot of issues trying to actually use their cp but if you're paying attention and you can get people to shoot Things they don't want to, or have the ability to shoot into melee. That's where a lot of your attack ploys are getting used early on.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, one of the issues I've been I've been having with them is uh, the fact that they can only do seek and destroy. That's um, when you meet teams like legionaries, for instance, where you are like almost never guaranteed your kill because much of the time I was using them, everyone was playing Nurgle all the time. I mean, I see more people do, uh, do Siege or Slanish, and even corn now. Uh, I've even played a guy who was uh, all undivided on all of his guys. Um, but at the time, uh, the only real thing for, uh, for Legionary players were uh, for Nurgle. Um, so uh, I felt like uh, most of the time I was never really guaranteed the kills, so um, setting them up with uh, Eliminate Guard and... Uh, all that sort of stuff. It was um, difficult at times. Um,
2: yeah, I but, think I've yeah, I've heard so that. that. I've heard that com- similar worry <laughs> echoed across a couple of the other people on the northeast area who played blooded a lot i think both nestor yeah. and nick craven who were doing well with them in you know, a mostly in the dark setting and you know mixed settings they both said that seek and destroy only definitely hampers a lot of your game plans because you know and yeah. your opponent knows you, you're running at them so if a good player is paying attention and they start reacting to eliminate guards by staying yeah. off of points or you know, making sure that all of your guys are out of range for route, it can be very hard to actually get those last two points. And Bloodbath yeah. is not always that consistent. Getting to 75% nope. is not always that easy. So being able to score at the max of 24 is not guaranteed once people nope. start paying attention to how you are scoring points. So for any firing exactly. competitive players, make sure that when you see a, an opponent who has to do a certain level of tack out play, that you are paying attention to how you can react to them. When it yeah, comes to, a, you know, the more competitive part of the Denmark scene, um, yeah. how competitive do you feel like the rest of Denmark is compared to what you perceive as the general meta? Because, you know, I know we were talking about how you feel like maybe about a quarter of your players are really competitive. How you know, often are those competitive players practicing against each other? And how do those competitive players interact with kind of like the rest of the Denmark community?
1: Um... I mean, so far uh, when it comes to tournaments uh, there have mostly been the ones that uh, that we arranged ourselves um so I mean of course, the guys in albo has has done a few as well um sorry rest of denmark if uh, if if there's been someone out there but i've I've simply not been aware of them um, but um yeah i mean I, at the moment one uh, one of our uh, again my friend Benjamin he's uh, he's like he's hosting the um, the uh, the weekly uh, game nights at the, the the local game store so he's often the um, uh, what do you call it uh, intro games uh, beginner games uh, guy he is often very happy to um, to, to teach um, so but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's mostly when we travel um, to uh, to other places uh, to compete. It's uh, I th- I feel like it really shines through. Don't really know what what else to say. I mean, it's not like super competitive uh, so far.
2: So um, uh, we're just. I'm just curious, like. You know, there's lots of different levels of kill team play. I know that me and Jason have talked a lot on this podcast about how you making sure that you want to welcome in the new players. Uh, How do you feel like your experienced players have done you know better or worse or do you think that there are ways that you can help new players get into the game or you know expanding out to other regions i know you're in copenhagen which is the capital city but it sounds like alborg is another city that's running a tournament i'm sure there's other spots in the area if any of anyone from denmark is listening you know like what hints or tips would you give that have helped you in copenhagen um push your scene forward
1: uh, definitely be uh, be welcome to to new players. I mean, that's it's it's the it's the obvious one, and I feel like every community I've ever heard about uh, fulfills this uh, this task um, greatly. Do you have any um, uh,
2: players in Copenhagen you want to call out for? You know, being big players to help you. I know you mentioned the other tournament organizers, but I'm sure there yeah. are other players that are helping out. Um, uh, yeah. I
1: mean. It's not uh, now I'm making it sound like there's nobody else, and that's not true at all. But now um it's mostly um the guys from our organizer group. Um most of the other players who is like often coming to compete. They're like uh, I mean once we're done here I, I've I've figured out some name or like oh yeah, you'll, man, you'll yeah, remember yeah, in the
2: last yeah. do <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> don't worry. Oh, the rest okay. of Denmark. I'm sure that Anders will we'll make sure that you're known locally. So if you're in Denmark and you're hearing this, make sure to get out of your tournaments and go play and make sure that the new players have a place to learn and grow because that's a big part of the game because it's not really a game you can just read about online on Discord, you know, just like Just Another Kill Team Discord, right, Jason?
0: Absolutely. You can join the the Discord, join the chats. Um, And I know that, like, at the beginning, before we were recording, we chatted a little bit about um, having different opinions versus, like, what does the internet think is good versus what we think is actually good um and i think that's a really interesting point um Mm. and and it ties in with what travis just said where you can have all the internet opinions in the world but then once you actually sit down on the table and play stuff it looks a lot different so i'm curious if there's anything in that realm that jumps out as like your the your top example
1: From my own experience, it's uh, mostly been the. Uh, for instance, uh, I've uh, after Warhammer Fest, I uh, I gave uh, the Blooded a break, so and began playing uh Salvagers as soon as they released. Um, and for a long time, in the beginning, people were like, speaking about how bad they were. Um, and I mean, bad or not, it was like. Probably one of the funniest team I've ever I've ever played. Um, I'm a, really a toolbox team kind of guy. Um, uh, so they uh, they obviously um, what do you say? They they um, they spoke to a, to a, a part of the game that I really enjoy, and how you really can uh, can stir up some uh, some craziness on the battlefield when you're um, when you're setting your team up right uh and I've been enjoying them, and uh, had uh, good results with them um before already before the first nerf. Uh, now um buff before the first buff so 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 more buffs for them was just like a plus for me i guess
0: yeah definitely true um that ties in <laughs> yeah. perfectly with our podcast segment for niche tactics niche tactics. In which um, this one is a little bit less about comparing the different operatives um, and more of like diving into the cool, clever plays. And the faction that we're going to be focusing on for this one is the Hearthkin Salvagers. So, any of your your favorite like combos, stacks, uh, plays, um, strategy going into the game? Like, what are you looking for? What are some of your favorite plays?
1: I mean, this one is not a popular one, uh, especially because Alpha Strikes is a bit of a sore object for for many people, Um, but the Hearthkin Salvagers has uh, the option to put uh, a concussion grenade on their uh, jump pack guy um, and launch him forward and throwing it into the enemy uh, deployment zone, Um, obviously. If uh, if you have better plans with uh, your jump pack, do it by all means. He's uh, he's really one of your most important utility pieces. But once in a while, it's just really fun to, uh, to jump so far up the board. Um, use his two uh, APL for that. And then use the Ancestors of Watching ploy um, to do a free shooting attack, as long as he's not injured. Before that, I usually... Uh, there's this like scan token that the locator can do where you uh, are allowed to re-roll uh, an attack dice uh, as long as the target is within three inches of uh, of the token. Um, and then if you really want to spice it up, you can uh, use the approximate firepower ploy as well. So you uh, are now hitting on twos as long as you're within five inches of your, no, six inches of your um, of your target. So that's uh, potentially a whole lot of damage Um, can be really funny against Horde teams, uh, because they often have to stand a bit more cramped to be in cover uh, behind enemy lines. Um, The downside, one of the downsides, except him, um, if you're playing against a melee Horde, you can be pretty sure that you will lose him immediately afterwards. but the other downside um, is that as soon as you take that grenade and put it uh, on him, you cannot take the grenadier who has the utility grenade and the uh, the blast crack grenade and um, has fill um, no paint against splash um, torrent and blast damage, uh, which is crazy powerful. Um, yeah, you
2: lose you lose out on the free equipment points of taking the grenadier. Yeah. Do you exactly, a crazy auto strike. One yeah. of the big things that's you know changed is that now that the buff, now that their movement ability is plus one inch on a normal move, the Jump Pack yeah. Warrior actually flies thirteen inches when he does this. So on turn one, it's pretty hard to avoid some form of alpha strike. But the cost is that you do lose a big Grenadier model, which is a lot.
1: Isn't isn't uh, on regular move because he's uh, he's uh, twelve inch. Um movement is uh, called a boost action. It's its it's its own action, so I'm um, not really sure. Yeah, if so it's not it's, based uh, on his
2: yeah, movement might, characteristic? Might it's perform. Yeah, it's during a normal move, which I guess the Jump Pack Warrior... No, it performs a normal move. So you're performing a free normal move action with the following additional rules. So you do get a 13-inch move. Oh
1: my, I didn't know.
0: I didn't know Look that either. Look at that. <laughs> so swift.
1: Yeah, I mean, you learn something every day, I guess. Well, um... But again, you you have a very good chance of losing him after doing uh, doing such a move. So you really have to have to know what you want to do afterwards. Um,
2: uh, yeah, because in my experience, playing against Hurricane <laughs> Salvagers, yeah, the Jump Pack Warrior is one of the key pieces for the team because everyone Definitely. else is moving up very slowly. He's one of the few operatives that gives you the ability to react to your opponent's plays towards the end of the turn quickly. Because as Hearth yeah. and Salvager are moving up the board, your opponent, if they're paying attention, knows kind of where you can put down operatives and abilities. So the jump pack Warrior, if you lose them early, you actually do lose a lot of map control, which is not yeah. something that you're looking to do. No. So it is a risky play, and you know you can't just Sometimes, take it. Uh, it's not—it's not a free play.
1: No, definitely not. Sometimes I give him the grenade just to like uh, be a threat. Um, and just let my opponent know that I can do this move as soon as I want to, as long as this guy is alive. And uh, you better be careful, guys. And then perhaps that give me an advantage on the uh, on on their positioning for uh, other shooting attacks to be made from uh, some of the other guys. But
2: yeah, when it comes yeah, to the um, salvagers, I feel, I feel like, like there's kind of two schools of thought right now. Ace. When he was on here a couple months ago, he was yeah. talking about how he uses some bait pieces so that he can build up grudge tokens and react to people fighting over the middle of the board. I do you think that it seems like on the slightly more um, risky areas of midboard that Spain tends to play, that level of play is probably useful because having those reactive pieces on the second line is nice. When you get Definitely. some more midboard pieces, I feel like the range, focusing more on your range options and opening up uh, paths of play is nice. Yeah, which kind of play do you feel like you do with the Harskin Salvagers? Are you focusing a little bit more on the bait style that Ace was doing, or are you trying to get range operatives into good positions with heavy barricades so that you can shoot people down with your superior firepower?
1: Uh, definitely the second one. Um, I mostly rely heavily on uh, on my gunners. Uh, even the um, I won't call them the regular uh, dwarfs, but uh, but the rest of them have like it's it's basically bolters that they. Uh, they, they they are using. You get bolters
2: with so, um, one, or you get bolters with ceaseless, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, just hitting on fours uh, instead of threes like the space marine does. But but there, I mean, there are ways to uh, to to work around that. It's not necessarily an issue. Um, again, with the Proximate firepower or the uh, the uh, the reroll uh, if your target is within uh, three of the the token from your uh, from your locator or the cognitor, I always get those two. Um, Mixed up. Um, I mean, by the names, of course. Um, so, um, but yeah, I definitely say that um, I rely on uh, good positioning for uh, for the gunners um, take out uh, key operatives from uh, from the uh, the opponent team, if uh, if he allows me to, uh, and otherwise uh, punish his um, hesitance. Uh, if he uh, if he doesn't reveal himself and just take up some more ball space. Uh, I've begun playing more with knives and uh, it's super fun. Um the whole melee aspect uh, is uh, definitely some uh, territory I need to explore more. But um, so far, I haven't tried it out too much.
2: Okay. Yeah, I, I think that um, being able to set up barricades that are heavy anywhere on the map, basically, and then allowing yeah. your operatives to ignore them means that even though you can only move five inches, being able to ignore that first barricade means that really your move and shoot is working at around a seven inch operative range. So yeah. placing those forward barricades, moving into those positions and using those as positions of power with either comms buffs or your for the the ancestors are watching allows you to really have these mid-ground places that your opponent really doesn't want to go to so i think that would be the range centric way of playing those positional games versus taking knives and walking up and making sure that people are in stabbing range afterwards because the seven inch charges or an eight inch threat range is nice um or no because you're still charging at a uh, seven inch threat range right because it's four inches plus two because the steady advance only works on normal moves yeah yeah exactly which matchups do you find good for the Hearthkin, and which ones do you find a little bit harder, and how do you play those matchups differently
1: mm, I mean the obvious answer uh until um recently has been uh, been commandos um I mean a lot of people talk about how good uh, they are against commandos and and I see that because first of all we have the ability to deny them their forward deploys um mm-hmm. which hopefully won't be too much of an issue anymore um uh, and um, it's just some really strong guns um, they use most times I've played commandos with them uh, unfortunately has been on Into the Dark uh, which is just it's just a bad day from the beginning um, so difficult uh, Yeah,
2: unfortunately the math they, has not really changed on In the Dark right where a commando yeah, gets to yeah. one of your guys and you almost always lose even with a yeah. knife
1: and he can get just so far up the board before you, you get the chance to do anything about it um i had a yeah, it's just, it's just a so absurd situation there's the two orcs uh in an open door uh, on conceal and i have my gunner just behind but he can't do shit about it <laughs> i'm just so, yeah then i have to then i have to charge them to make sure they don't go too far but then first chance one of them gets he kills me and then the other one will move up the board instead i mean
2: Yes, yeah, so Commandos, I, I think I've heard people mention that Commandos are a bad matchup for the Hearthkin. I have not found that to be the case, nor did I see it at the World Championships. I think that at the end of the day, having 10 operatives that can all touch you in melee and kill you and be able to start on conceal means that yeah. oftentimes the dwarves are not really getting the first punch. and even, But even without the first punch, your guns are not necessarily going to kill a dwarf or an orc, so I haven't found that matchup to be particularly good in your favor. If there was a good matchup, I think it would be most of the elites are pretty favorable yes. to you, right? Because you have a million P one guns, and you have crack grenades. You've got AP two guns. You've got seven inch uh, charge oh, yes. charge dash shoot for free, so you can just play the activation game and use those extra five yeah, exactly. activations and really put the hurt on your opponent.
1: Oh yes, the uh, the blast crack grenade has really um, come into come in handy. Um, Many times uh, against uh, special legionaries, um, where I think there was a game where I killed two guys that were in in, in one go with just that one grenade, and just, and then the game was just more or less over from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so
2: yeah. um, I mean, you know, if you're playing against Hearthcan, you're worried about the blast profiles. Make sure that you pre-space your models out oh, of yeah. the blast ranges, because otherwise, you will let your opponent get get you with the D eight. high explosive charge basically
1: yeah i I I think they were hiding behind uh, the same uh, barricade or something and there's just not enough space for the no you
2: can't you can't put two elites behind a barricade against Hearthkin. i mean there's not there's not a ton of things that you can do as an elite player um the most important thing in that matchup for an elite player if i was trying to break parity is to make sure that you are in range to charge t- on two spots. So when your opponent gives up the ghost on one of them and deletes one of your dudes, you can charge and fight and kill on the other side. And then from yeah. there, maybe you push forward onto that that's position, but it's always going to be a hard matchup with that much AP floating around.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
2: All right, all right. Um, any other final things you want to talk about uh, the Denmark scene? Talk about uh, any upcoming tournaments? I know you mentioned that you have the whole your entire Denmark schedule lined up. Maybe you could yeah. uh, preview it for anyone who's thinking about c- visiting Denmark, or for anyone who's listening in Denmark and doesn't know.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, uh, the first uh, tournament from uh, from the group activation uh, guys is uh, the tenth of March. Um, we're playing at uh, a uh, local game store called Farav uh, Sigar. Uh, all the the Danes will know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, the second one is uh, June 2nd, um, also at Fårö Um We have a lot of Swedes coming over at that one. Um, I won't be able to attend myself uh, due to uh, to family-related business, which is uh, super unfortunate. But um, I only learned the uh, the date clash afterwards. But um, that's what it is then we have um th- those were two uh, one day events then we have two two day events uh, september 7th and 8th um we have uh, a tournament in uh, something called Valby Kulturhus um that's one of the events where we uh, have applied to to become a qualifier event for worlds so uh, hopefully hopefully we will uh, we will have some tickets there uh, we will let everyone know as soon as we know anything and then we have november second uh, and third um which we are trying to uh, label as the danish nationals um and and hopefully there will also be a ticket there um so uh so that's um that's all exciting um and then, uh, of course, I would like to give a little shout out to uh, to the guys in All who have uh, the uh, year's first uh, big tournament uh, at uh, January uh, 14th. So if uh, anyone uh, could be interested, they come over for uh, a little four-round event. Uh, it'll be super cozy. And uh, there'll be a lot of guys from both uh, Copenhagen and uh, the All scene as well. Uh, and then uh, a final shout out to uh, to all my guys in Copenhagen. Uh, I hope you're listening. Um, I'm uh, looking so much forward to play uh, with all of you uh, in the upcoming year. And uh, happy holidays.
2: Yeah, I think by the time this comes out, we'll be a little bit into the new year. So we're oh, okay. excited We're excited <laughs> to um, bring in the new year with with Anders. Uh, in case yeah. anyone is listening and the GoFundMe for Luster's Workshop is still up, our 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 only sponsor so far has had a laser fire and is causing him oh, yeah. and his business a little bit of issues so we'll have the gofundme link in the description along with a shout out to the goonhammer utc finals for kill team it'll be the first time that goonhammer's unified tournament circuit will be doing a kill team event and we'll have a thousand dollars worth of cash prizes for first second and third so if anyone is looking to try their hand it's probably some of the most competitive kill team in the northeast area just by lieu of there being a 500 cash prize make sure to uh, get a ticket uh links will be in the show notes <laughs> all right thanks andrews for dropping by and hanging out and talking a little bit about denmark thank you so much it's been really all right thank you listeners I'll catch you on the next one